This is Paul Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Weekdays at 10 on 710 ESPN Seattle. At Gallant Says on Twitter. Text into the show at 710-710. Hello and welcome aboard the Paul Gallant Show on Thursday, July 15th of 2021. I am Paul Gallant. We're going to be talking about the things that we know about Richard Sherman's arrest yesterday. So I'm just going to lay out a timeline of everything that took place in case you have heard things, but you're hearing more speculation than you're hearing facts. And yep, that's a natural byproduct, sadly, of any conversation about a famous athlete, celebrity who ends up finding themselves in trouble with the law. So on Tuesday night, a 911 call was made. We won't talk about the dispatcher. Ashley Sherman, Richard Sherman's wife, calls in and says that Richard had threatened to kill himself in this phone call to the police, that he had sent text messages to people saying he's going to hang himself. And you can hear the anguish in her voice throughout the phone call. And I don't want to play it. If you want to look at it, listen to it, you can go check it out, Cairo News. But I I, I don't want to dive back into it. He said that if the police showed up, he'd try to fight them. During this phone call, you can hear Ashley trying to get Richard to stop from driving away. There was a physical altercation apparently before, too, with his uncle. He had had two bottles of liquor, vodka and Hennessy. And his wife, Ashley, was expressing concern that he might go to her parents' house in Redmond. So that's the first 911 call. It takes place, I'm assuming, late Tuesday night. A little bit later, there's a second 911 call. There is a male voice making said phone call. From what we understand, it's the uncle. Ashley Sherman started following Richard Sherman by car, so the uncle followed them both by car just to make sure that she's safe. They had thought they had taken all the keys away because Richard Sherman seems like was intoxicated and potentially looking to leave. You don't want him to drive after having two bottles, but he was still able to find some keys. It was a Dodge Challenger, I believe. And he was driving all over the place, and you can hear his concern, the uncle, over the course of the phone call. He stopped in the middle of the road to cut her off. He kept doing it when she was trying to go around him. Per the male voice, Richard Sherman did not have any firearms, but he might have had a knife, I guess a kitchen knife. And like you heard from Ashley, you heard that he's suicidal in this phone call as well, Richard Sherman. Sherman apparently had told his wife, if the kids aren't in the car, he was going to hurt her. So that's what we had at first, and that's how this situation escalated to a point where we got to burglary, domestic violence. But before we get to that, I, I'm really hoping, and I think it's nothing more than hope at this point because it's hard to believe otherwise, I'm really hoping that this is just Richard Sherman in the midst of some extreme intoxication saying some things that he doesn't actually mean. And I've seen this before, and I know that at my absolute worst moments while intoxicated that I've myself even made similar comments, which were brought up to me after the fact a while ago. And it's one of those things that has led me to be a lot more responsible. I'm not perfect, though, and this is one of the tricks of alcohol. It's extremely dangerous, especially when you are consuming it 
and you're in a state where you're not right of mind, you're distressed, you're sad, you're depressed, something like that. So the night continues, and you see a phone call made to 911, this time from a worker in a construction zone. He called Washington State Patrol about a possibly impaired driver after Richard Sherman drove his SUV into a closed, active construction zone. The vehicle ends up leaving the scene, parks in a parking lot, and was abandoned, but it had Sherman's registration on it. The tires popped of this car as it entered the construction zone. It also seemed to have some damage, I think, to the left side of the car. Sherman is extremely lucky that no one in that construction site got hurt, and I think that's one of the things that we all should be thankful for is that there could have been other completely innocent, completely removed from the situation victims here. Richard Sherman put himself in this situation, and while I do have empathy for whatever he might be going through, I think it's really important to note that he is responsible for the majority of what took place, whether it's his wife's anguish on a phone call being exposed to the national media or the just conversations that are going to be taking place around Richard Sherman that he and his family are going to have to deal with, but specifically his family in the coming weeks. But also, I mean, he was an absolute menace on the road and caused a confrontation that could have escalated to a point where, based off of the phone call he said earlier, where he said if police showed up, he'll try to fight them. I mean, that could have gone down horribly for him. I mean, you never know. If you're a police officer and you're trying to apprehend somebody and that person all of a sudden starts fighting then what happens you never know what's going to happen there i think sometimes we look at that side of the job as if it is this easy job to do no it's not it's very dangerous and it's always one with uncertainty and you're trying to not only protect those around you but hopefully protect yourself anyway so that call is made at 126 no injuries in the construction zone at 149 redmond police responded to a 911 call of a burglary in progress and they found richard sherman about outside of a residence that belonged to sherman's wife's parents it's about 3 miles from the exit or so per the police press conference with redmond police chief daryl lowe and washington state patrol captain ron mead sherman physically resisted efforts to bring him into custody and a canine unit, which was there, and I think it was because one of the first cop cars to respond just happened to be a canine unit, was eventually used. There was an odor of an intoxicant being admitted from his breath. One of the troopers tried to de-escalate things. Apparently, he knew him as a valet. But the situation got bad when Sherman was informed that police had probable cause to put him under arrest. He began to walk away, increased his pace, and the canine unit was deployed. I know that some have wondered, well, wait, why wasn't a taser used? Listen... I wasn't there. The police are going to give their side of the story. You can believe it. You don't have to believe it necessarily. Whatever the case, seems like they felt the need to apprehend him by force. Make your own judgment on that. I know everyone does these days. So, 608, Richard Sherman is booked at the King County Correctional Facility after a brief stint in the hospital where they treated the wound that he had on his ankle from the dog. And they also drew blood so that they can determine whether or not he was driving under the influence after the fact. He is being held without bail as all domestic violence charges are held until he meets with a judge this afternoon at about 2.30. The charges that are against him right now, at least based off of what we heard from 
Redmond Police Chief Daryl Lowe and Washington State Patrol Captain Ron Mead are as follows. Burglary, domestic violence. That is because the home that he tried to break into, he has relations with them. They are his in-laws. No one sustained any injuries. Sherman did not gain entry, and I think that's important to know because sometimes you hear the word domestic, the words together, domestic violence, and you assume that there was actually someone hurt there. No, no one was hurt. Property was damaged, whether it was the construction site, the home, and obviously Richard Sherman's car, but it seems like no one got hurt outside of minor lacerations for Sherman and I think some minor lacerations for a police officer who's trying to restrain him. He was charged with resisting arrest as well, malicious mischief because of the damage to the front yard, and there might be misdemeanor DUI hit and run. Not felony DUI hit and run. Sounds like it's misdemeanor, at least at this point in time, until we find out the results of the blood sample that they took from Richard Sherman. So there you go. Those are all the facts that we have right here. And they're hard to come to terms with because you just see that Richard Sherman clearly, for whatever reason, lost his grip. And I guess this is something that has been going on for a while. First off, we found out that the King County Sheriff's Office had obtained an extreme risk protection order against Sherman earlier this year to bar him from possessing firearms, according to court records. You heard Ashley Sherman on the phone call say that he was threatening to kill himself. You heard her uncle as well saying that he was suicidal. And then you hear this from Ian Rappaport, who said that Sherman's friends have been aware that he's been struggling. One other thing I want to mention, there was a somewhat disturbing 911 call where Richard Sherman and his wife allude to some of the personal troubles that he is currently going through. My understanding is his close friends have been well aware of this and actually visited Sherman's house on a couple different occasions this offseason to try to intervene and, and help Richard Sherman deal with what he's dealing with personally. Uh, obviously, it, the the culmination of this was this incident that we are hearing about now. So you add that up and I mean, clearly something's wrong. What is it? I don't know. My assumption and it's an assumption. It's speculation. It's nothing more than that. And it's based off of, I think, a slip up by those two police officers who were carrying out the press conference yesterday where they said ex-in-laws once. And then you saw Ashley Sherman on Twitter tweet out, no, there's no X going on here. I think that they might have had some private conversations with her afterwards and said that, yeah, there's some perhaps marital um, problems going on. Maybe there's separation. Honestly, I can't say as to what they are, but I think that that might have been part of the problem. And the other part might be that this is a guy who's looking for a job in football and doesn't really know what he wants to do next and is having a difficult time maybe accepting that he is no longer the Richard Sherman, one of the greatest corners in NFL history. And I imagine for a lot of athletes, that's difficult to deal with. That's not an excuse for the way that things went, but I'm trying to be empathetic here. And I, I think it's really important to note, no one got hurt. No one got hurt. I'm really thankful for that. Everyone should be thankful for that. Most of all, Richard Sherman. He is very fortunate that this did not get a lot worse than it actually could have been, especially if he was feeling these suicidal thoughts and had drank as much alcohol as he did. This could have been so, so much worse. Thankfully, we're just talking about an arrest, and we'll likely hear more from Richard Sherman this afternoon at about 2.30 or so. I'm Paul Gallant. This is the Paul Gallant Show. 710-710 on the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. I'll try to answer some questions. I know there's going to be a lot of speculation over the course of the rest of the day. I know I've done a lot of it already, not just yesterday, where we had 
literally nothing to work off of, but today even too. But I will try to work it in. We are the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle. This might not be the day for phone calls because I know that sometimes we go down roads that we don't necessarily want to with the phones. And I want to make sure that we're being respectful, that we're not making any accusations. We're not making any assumptions about anybody involved in this entire situation. So I feel bad. I feel like I'm essentially saying, yeah, I'm going to... uh, I'm going to put the training wheels on or I'm, I'm putting the floaties on. Um, this is not because I, I don't have respect for you guys listening. This is just I don't want this to go down a rabbit hole where we can't come back from. I want to treat this story as respectfully as I possibly can. And I know that the best way for me to do that, someone who obviously rambles all over the place and sometimes loses his train of thought, <laughs> it's probably going to be best if it's just me. But we will answer your text, 710-710. All right, it's 1013. All the details in front of you. It's time to get to what's trending with Maura Dooley. And it's brought to you by King's Heating and Air, just like this hour of the Paul Gallant Show is brought to you by Advanced Hair Restoration. Good morning, afternoon, Maura Dooley. How are you now? Oh, I am great. How are you? Doing well. Um, well, you broke some news this morning. Jerry DePoto revealed with you on Danny and Gallant that Jared Kelnick will be back in the lineup for the Mariners tomorrow night. I mean, we've always believed in his talent. And uh, obviously, the, the 25 or 26 game stretch, whatever it was, that that he last experienced didn't go the way we'd hoped or he would would have hoped but you know we sent him back he had a a plan to work on some of it was you know how to approach the game some of it was you know more uh, skills development based and he he did everything we asked him to do and the the performance was excellent Uh, he achieved what we were hoping he would achieve in a short time and and we told them that we would reassess at the All-Star break and, and see where we were. And, you know, we think it's the right time to, to give it another shot. The biggest challenge for Kellenick coming out of this, it is going to be, can he keep up whatever change that he made to his mental approach that we're hoping that he was able to establish as a real habit in Tacoma? And honestly, I don't know. I that's my biggest concern. It was just a month. And while he was hitting well at the end of the month, are they rushing him up again? Because they might have rushed him up at first. I get why they rushed him up, and I'm not going to fault the Mariners or Jerry DePoto for bringing him up the way that they did. Last year ruined everything as far as the development of this baseball team. It did. You didn't have a true minor league season. Jared Kelnick was in this alternate training site, which was not providing an actual authentic challenge for him to get better as a baseball player. To the point that last year, I wanted to see Kelnick up in the major leagues at a certain point. Because I thought, you know what? Yeah, maybe it doesn't help him out a whole lot. But, I mean, why not? You know, especially with some of the guys that were hitting in the lineup last year. Outside of Kyle Lewis and Dylan Moore, there were few and far between when it comes to offensive output by this team. This year, it's a little bit different. And you could maybe make the case that, hey, look, some of the guys who are in the outfield right now are actually playing all right. Uh, Jake Fraley's been pretty solid of late. Mitch Hanniger's obviously having a really good season. I think the thing that maybe makes it a little bit easier is that Taylor Trammell is still also learning things on the fly as a young baseball player, and there's no Kyle Lewis. So it's not like he is going to be jumping the line in front of anybody. He and both Taylor Trammell should be fighting for any playing time that they can get at this point in time. I just hope that Kelnick does not beat himself up when he inevitably has his issues, which he will. He's in the midst of an 0-for-39 slump. I don't think that he's just going to get a hit right away. Though if he does, it will be glorious, and I will be just as excited as I was when Jerry DePoto told me that Jared Kelnick's coming up to the majors tomorrow. Let's go. What's up next, Mora? Russell Wilson returned to the Dan Patrick show for the first time since his appearance that sparked the controversy that we kind of dealt with the whole offseason. 
Um, and he spoke about that with Dan Patrick. I think that more than anything else, you know, like I said, we, we had all the end of the year stuff that we had to do. And, and uh, I think more than anything else, it, you know, we just had a, a dialogue conversation. And you know, I think it definitely blew out of proportion in terms of the, the moment and what it became. Um, you know, it was a little unfortunate, but I think more than anything else, you know, you know what I care about? I care about winning. You know, that's what I want to do. Very spontaneous answer by the ever spontaneous Russell Wilson, who spontaneously goes on vacations and spontaneously does decide to throw chaos into the Seahawks offseason. It was blown out of proportion because you allowed it to be, Russ. You you said what you said, and then you sat back and you didn't say anything. Now, I suppose that maybe was the plan that all the Seahawks wanted to have afterwards and that there was a private conversation that was had. But whatever the case, this ballooned to the way that it did. And I'm sure that other teammates saw this and at the very least have a raised eyebrow about what you might be as far as your future here in Seattle. They are looking at you and they are probably thinking at the very least with hesitance about your actual long-term security here. And that's your fault. I'm glad that it seems like everything has come to a head. I do realize, though, that the results of this coming 17-game slate could change that dramatically. I'm Paul Gallant. This is the Paul Gallant Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. On your 710 app, your smart speaker, 710sports.com slash video. That's what's trending, everybody. With more Dooley brought to you by Kings Heating and Air. So, Be Heard's going to be a little bit different today. We're going to stick with the text line because that way we don't go down deep rabbit holes. And again, I apologize for that. I do respect a lot of the opinions that are out there. It's more, I know that certain ones, like, for example, already. You know, I'm trying to walk down this in the middle the best I can. I know there are some people who are going to turn this into a thing about um, race and police, and I don't, I don't want to make it that because it's not about that to me. You know, there are definitely some things that you look at and you wonder and you question. And while I would love to just be able to believe that every everything that is told to me, you know, you always have to be a little bit skeptical. I mean, aren't we that with Russell Wilson <laughs> at all times? I mean, Russell Wilson is telling us things and. You know, I, I want to believe him. I want to take his word at 100% um, for what it is. But, you know, that's that's just not the, the way that the world works. And obviously, since we don't have video of the incident and we don't have any evidence, all we have to go off of is the police report, the 911 calls, etc. But I know, and this happened immediately, some people were going to take it down. Oh, well, I mean, police officers, like, they, they do this all the time. Calm down. Oh, well, uh, you know, Richard Sherman... I mean, look at this guy here. Uh, oh, he thinks he's better than everybody, and, and, and then this happens. And, look, I can understand that maybe some people feel a little bit of hypocrisy on that front too, especially with Sherman saying to Skip Bayless that one time, I'm better at life than you. You know, that, unfortunately for him, I mean, that's going to be used against him now in the, in the coming days. I feel some sympathy for him, but at the same time, I mean, it's his fault. And as some texters have brought up, Let's not diminish the DUI side of this. And I don't want to act like me or anyone has ever been behind the wheel where they probably shouldn't have. And I know a lot of people, maybe you don't want to admit that publicly, but you probably have. And I think, I mean, that's one of the great things about Uber and Lyft, although they are ridiculously expensive these days, is that you do have a means to get from point A to point B. And in this situation, I mean, Richard Sherman, he just clearly wasn't thinking straight, just based off of all the information that we have. Two bottles of, of, of alcohol, and then you're driving a car, and you're driving a car also to see your in-laws, which is probably not the best of ideas. I mean, it just 
unbelievably poor judgment on his part, and he's going to have to deal with the repercussions, and so is his wife, and so is his whole family. But I'm not going to act like I'm someone who just is so callous and, and, and looks at it as just like a DUI police report. How can you after hearing that 911 call? And you can listen to it if you haven't listened to it. I, I don't want to play it again. Uh, we haven't played it on this station. Um, and look, news station, different, entirely different environment than our ours. So, I mean, I know some people have opinions on whether or not it should have been played. I honestly don't know what I would have done if I were a news director in that situation. I really don't, to pull back the curtain. I really don't. That's a, that's a tough call to make. I mean, it's a public record. But... Also, at the same time, you're hearing this anguish in somebody's voice and the person is not the subject of this conversation really right now. But you hear all these details that are important to hear, I think, as far as how it got to this point for Richard Sherman. And, and that's what makes it so tough. 710-710 of the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. Akalon says on Twitter, Today's show feels like a Dr. Phil episode. Let's get fired up from here in the second half. Let's go. Yeah, I know. I wish we could get there, but that's, that's, not, that's just not how it goes right now. Um. Paul, everyone was held without bail until they see a judge. It is the judge who sets the bail. Yep, I, I uh, well, with a domestic violence charge in, uh, in particular, I guess you don't see the judge for a long period of time. But maybe you're right on that text, honestly. Um, text in, Paul, you suck. Don't want to hear a white guy's opinion on domestic violence. Okay. I don't know where that's going. What does that even mean? I mean, do- domestic violence crosses all... Races and sexes and <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. I'm not I, sure I, I, I don't get that one. See, this is this is one of the this is one of the things that had me a little bit hesitant about how we actually handle this conversation as far as actual overall interactive interactivity goes here. Like another texter, nice job at the police force. Like you were there, Paul. Eh. I mean, you're hearing what you want to hear, and that's the problem when you talk about a story like this. With the way that we are these days. It's just so easy to take things down some rabbit hole that it's not necessarily a part of. What this story is about is about a football player who might not be a football player anymore, who it seems like is having some, first off, just personal issues of his own. Maybe that's related to family. Maybe it's related to his career. Whatever the case, I mean, this is one of the best players that we've ever seen play here. This guy won a Super Bowl for this city. This guy did a lot of good things for the city, too. To vilify him because of something like this where no one was hurt, I mean, he's lucky no one was hurt. But that's, I think that's unfair to do, to vilify him. Like, oh, what a terrible person, you know? Maybe it's more difficult to look at him in the same way that we once did as a guy who was a strong, opinionated man who had all sorts of thoughts on pretty much everything, whether it's football, the way that the Seahawks are run, Pete Carroll, Russell Wilson, or things like social justice and things like that. And I know some people agreed with him and some people hated the things that he had to say. And that's going to affect your opinion of this. But what this story is about is a guy who, at the very least, is going to be charged, likely, with a DUI, I would imagine. And maybe he'll be charged with that burglary, domestic violence. I'd be very curious to see if the family wants to go through with those charges, in addition to uh, hit and run and uh, resisting arrest. So there you go. All right, it's, uh, it's 1023. We'll try to respond to some of your questions. And if you have questions for the Graz, 710-710, make him answer your questions. I'm just kidding. We'll talk to the Graz about that, about the call-up of Jared Kelnick, and a whole lot more next right here, 710 ESPN Seattle, The Paul Gallant Show. It's 1030, and that means it's time to get in the sports pit. In the pit where all that stuff goes down, and if you don't have some freaking toughness... 
You're going to get your, you're going to, you're going to fail. And joining me in the sports pit is the great and powerful Graz. Thanks to our friends at the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company. Graz, how you doing, man? Not bad, Paul. How you holding up? Doing all right. Doing all right. I, I, I am bummed out by this. There's a part of me that is entirely admitting selfishness. I really wanted to see what the next chapter of Richard Sherman's career was going to be. And this is definitely going to put it on hold for a while, if not completely stop it. But I was hoping either to see him, maybe with the Seahawks at some point this year, or maybe behind the mic on Monday Night Football, and his own actions, his own decisions, and uh, what sounds like a lot of pain that might be going on in his life led him to do something that was really foolish, and now here we are talking about him and hoping that he's going to be able to get things back on track. What was your immediate reaction to finding out the news yesterday morning? Well, because uh, you didn't have all the details yesterday morning. First it was surprise, and then it kind of morphed into sadness, and, and that's basically where I am right now. I think there's, you know, some things to be figured out here, and, and there's some gray areas here uh, for sure. But, you know, it, it's uh, for, for a guy who was always seemingly on top of the world, always a step ahead, always, uh, always a little bit smarter, always a little bit more clever, always, you know, able to, you know, you won, you see, you see him win all these verbal battles with guys over the years, and and um, you know was just uh, was just not not a guy you expect to to take a fall like this. But you know, having speaking from experience a little bit, if it's if it's what it sounds like, <clears throat> excuse me, to me, which is you know depression or something like it, you know, which kind of drove him to this, it's a uh, it's a real thing, and it's a, it's something that that has to be dealt with no matter no matter where you're at, and it's something you need help for. So. You know, I'm like everyone else waiting for more details to come out. But, um, you know, my, my, my general take is just feeling sad and feeling bad about it. No doubt I like about it. I, I enjoyed him a lot. I, I liked him from afar. And I'm, I'm envious that, that he was just this massive, massive personality as part of the Seattle sports scene during the greatest years of the Seattle Seahawks. And I know you were there for that. And some of the points that you just made there. Yeah, I mean, it, depression is something that is. And look, we're, we're speculating here. But it's, it's, it's something that a lot of people deal with, and, and some people turn to alcohol. And whatever the case, it's clear that he turned to alcohol for some sort of something last night that he was drinking two bottles of liquor. And, you know, I, I, I know that we, we, we both know, having sat next to each other once at the Seattle Sports Award, that we both enjoy a beverage uh-huh. or two. But sometimes when you're not in the right state of mind, that's the absolute worst thing that you can do. And, and now that I, I think the big hope is that, first off, that he realizes, and I'm sure he does, I mean, especially if you're sitting on this for – what, 24 hours plus before you actually get released from jail, but also that others in his life are going to be able to step in here because this is, this is, I guess, the next part of it. And for anyone, you know, in, in your every single day life, you might know somebody or you might be going through this right now, and it's important that you have people around you that can step up and help guide you back on the right track. Yeah, <clears throat> definitely true. And, and uh, you know, as someone who has actually had it, I mean, it's it's a real thing. Yeah. It's a real, Same, real thing. and. So um, you know, and again, we're we're assuming we're assuming a lot here, but but clearly there was something that that had him distressed, and and um, I was glad to hear from you know his wife that that there was no originally you heard the words domestic violence, and you would just assume the worst, just yeah, and, and it wasn't the worst, so right, no one got um, hurt, you know, no one got hurt is right, and and um, we'll see. I mean, we just we kind of owe it to everyone involved to kind of wait and see uh, what comes out, but. Uh, I really, I really hope he he rebounds from it and uh, stronger than ever, and and that's something he certainly can do. But in the short run, he's got he's got some stuff to deal with. That's for sure. No doubt about it. Let's move on, uh, because okay. 
Yeah, it's been hard. It's been hard. And I know that you were talking about it yesterday on uh, Wyman and Bob in with Dave yeah. yesterday, too. Just uh, a long conversation about all these details. And, and again, hopefully he's able to get help and that his family is able to get back on the right track. I- I'm I'm pumped. Jared Kelnick's back. Dare to Dream yep. Express, round two. Yep. We are coming around the corner, Graz. What are you expecting out of Kelnick the second time around? We probably have to be a little bit more measured, or I need to be a little bit more measured to <laughs> pour a cold bucket well, of ice on me. He's going to be a lot better than 096. I'm I hope. sure about that. <laughs> I'm sure. I, no, I'm sure about that. In okay. fact, <clears throat> I, I think, you know, go eight and four the next 12 games and force Jerry DePoto to, to take a look and say, look, we're, we're nine games over 500. We're a couple of games out of the wild card. We, we've got to, we've got to make some additions to this team. And, you know, I want to remind everyone that when you make deadline deals for, for rental players, you don't give up a whole lot of your farm system. So you're not going to give up a great prospect to get someone who can help your pitching staff uh, for the last six, six weeks of the season or so. But, you know, that's what I'm excited about right now is, is, is knock off eight out of 12, be nine games over 500, be poised and ready to, to, to add a pitcher or two. You've got some other, you got help. You got some pitchers on your staff coming back, you know, uh, during, during that period of time as well. And, and, you know, make a run at this thing. You know, I think it would galvanize the fan base. If even it was a small move, if you were to make a move to increase huh. the talent on this club to, to go down the stretch with. So I, I hope they do. I'm hesitant, man, because this has been a lot of fun this year. I, I, this has been the most fun I, I would imagine that you've had watching a Mariners team in, in a couple of years, right? Like probably going back to 2018. Mm-hmm. And it feels, though, like everything, it's just appreciate the moment. Just enjoy the Dare to Dream Express before it inevitably, I don't know, stops somewhere. Because right now I, I look at them and I just think, you know, while they're playing well, do they really have the ability to catch up with a Oakland or a Tampa Bay or hold off a Toronto or the Yankees by making a couple of acquisitions at the trade deadline? I feel like if I'm being honest with myself, no. I, I guess really what well, they got to be hoping for is what, Kelnick? to deliver and for Kyle Lewis to come back more than necessarily what, what they could get with a, an acquisition. But, but if they're, but Paul, if they're nine games over 500 of the trade deadline, believe your eyes. I mean, the mistake this franchise has made is not believing their eyes. I mean, mm. you, you, you take advantage of opportunities when they're there. And I, again, emphasize you're not going to be giving up key parts of your farm system to add. And I'm only suggesting adding some help to the pitching staff um, if they get to this point. So they've got to get to this point first. Look, it's, it's, it's not going six and six. It's 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 being nine ten games above five hundred. It's having no one in between you and, and the break. And if you're already ahead of those teams, you know you, you got to believe that. Well, you, you've already shown over a fairly long stretch that you can be better than them. So that's a lot of things that have got to happen right to even get to that point. So we'll see if they can even get to that point or not. But I think you know bringing Kelnick up now is is giving them a chance to get to that point. Definitely, especially if he's able to deliver this time. And I'm, I'm, again, I'm just trying. Trying to keep my expectations measured. I got way, way too wrapped up into it last time, and then all of a sudden it wasn't going so well. I was like, oh, no, right. this is uh, this is Rabbit puking all over himself, Mom Spaghetti. <laughs> so, you, you you know, with the trade deadline around the corner, I, I'm with you. Like there, there are certain names where you're not even thinking about trading them, but let's, let's put together a list of that you would put on offer up as the, the kids used to sell things these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... I, I, I would probably consider moving on from, yeah, Kendall Graveman, Paul Seawald, uh, Jake Fraley, with the way Luis Torrance Ooh. is playing, though that's probably not sustainable. 
who who would you be willing to perhaps send away via a trade in the hope of getting something back? I'd, I'd even maybe put Chris Flexen in that conversation just because what he's Whoa. doing right now. The reason I say oh, you don't these think things, you can do it again. You don't think you can do it. Again. I, 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 that's that's where I'm at, Ross. There, there's a couple of yeah. things here, a couple of guys here where they're playing so well, and and maybe I'm guilty exactly of what you said. The Mariners teams in the past have been where I, I'm like, is this really, is this really going to keep up? Are they going to be able to do this not just this year but next year and the years to come? Well, you know, I, I kind of would say there's a line of demarcation, and it's 27 years old. And if, if they're younger than 27 years old, you want to believe that, look, you're, you're talking about a two, three-year window of being good, and, and these are guys that can help you at that point. So so you're not moving them at all. Uh, great, you know, re- relievers, you know, I, I'll put in a different category because, you know, you, you put that group together separately, it seems, every year. And, and um, you know, there are so many good young, so many good arms out there in general that, you know, I can live with moving one of those guys. Although, I, you know, what, what do you actually think you're going to get for Kendall Graveman? Yeah, you're not going to get a, a, a top prospect or anything like that. So, no. you know, and he it, helps you out more move. than anything you would probably get in return for him now. Like, right. yeah, yeah, he's he's he, and but the other thing is too though, like relievers year to year, they're so unpredictable, they're so volatile. Right. I mean, you know, you're thinking about you're thinking the hard thoughts to yourself if you're Depoto and you, you've determined you're out of the race. Can we add an important piece if we're willing to part with a Mitch Hanniger? Because we've got some outfielders. I mean, can we can we part with uh, you know? I mean, he would be he would be obviously the guy you're wrestling with the most, the guy that would probably have the most value of of all your guys. Um, you know, Kyle Seager is is, is a different story. Um, you know, he's a guy you, you you're going to be willing to move, but I don't know what you're going to get for him. I, I said la- uh, during the week, Paul, that one thing that wouldn't surprise me is if the Mariners find themselves in a position where they really it doesn't make sense to do anything. Mm. That they can't really get anything, and they're not really in the race, and and they're not gonna. They, they want to have Hanniger. They want to have him. Let's say um, as a part of it next year. They believe that Flexen is 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 more than than just a one year flash. They want to give him a look next year, and and that that wouldn't be a shocker if that was the case for me also. Graz, I saw last night that you said you've been watching Yellowstone, one of my favorite well, shows. Just finished it. We we binged it over a week and a half. Oh, oh wow! You see, it's one of those shows where you can definitely do it over a week and a half. I don't want to provide any spoilers, but who is your favorite character, and why is it Beth Dutton? <laughs> You've got something in common with my wife. Beth is the best. That's her favorite character by ten miles. I'm I I like Casey. I Casey? like the, the the silent the silent troubled killer type. Mm-hmm. But because he's because he's a good guy though, like too, like you, you, he's got well, a heart of gold. But he's also you know he's willing to go the he's extra. He's a cold blooded killer. Yeah, he's a cold blooded killer. But with, with a heart, heart of gold. gold. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is the cross. That's a great gold. show. Yes, man, I, that's a great show. Oh man, and what a cliffhanger! What a cliffhanger! Spoiler alert! Excellent but what a cliffhanger! cliffhanger. Yeah, oh, we got, we're going to have to talk about that off the year. The Graz, everybody, thank you so much, man. Okay, buddy. Danny, or excuse me, no, that's not Danny Galan. This, this is the Paul Galan show. This is what happens when you go like a week without Danny and you realize that you miss your big brother. Anywho, he'll be back tomorrow, and we will wrap this show up next. So to go behind the scenes a little bit and just to talk about situations like this, I know that some people, you want this handled in a way where we're going to be obviously professional about it. Hopefully I have been professional about it, but... What is stepping over the line when it comes to talking about an athlete and things in his private life that might be dragged out into the open? Is there, a, is there a rule? Is there a set of laws that maybe we need to put in place as far as conversations about stuff like Richard Sherman and his arrest yesterday? We'll wrap up the show talking about that next.
You're listening to Paul Gallant. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Every day at 10 on 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle. Most interactive sports talk show in Seattle. A little less interactive today, but 710-710. Navigating through some of those texts on the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. I ask, hey, what's stepping over the line when it comes to coverage of a story like this? And I ask that because I know there were some who took issue with our sister station playing the um, 911 call that Ashley Sherman made to authorities. Now, I mean, that's, that is legal based off of my understanding of the law, which is, I will admit, very limited, but I looked it up and there's a bunch of jargon here, but I believe unless it's something that would disrupt an investigation that's already ongoing that you can make a police phone call public. The problem is, in this situation, I I would have perhaps chosen differently in that since it wasn't Richard Sherman who was actually speaking on the phone, I think it would have been a little bit over the top just because of how depressing, how sad it is to hear someone who is not putting herself firmly in the line of fire because of decisions she made. She's here trying to save her husband and trying to make sure that he gets home in one piece and you're just hearing the anguish there. That side of it, that's a difficult decision to make, and I'm, I'm not going to fault anyone for making it, but I'm also not going to fault anyone who has reservations or thinks it's awful either. You know, it's it's an entirely subjective thing here. What is over the line? So we got a couple of texts in, 710-710. On the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. <laughs> this one person I, I don't think likes Richard Sherman. Stepping over the line is threatening to pull a, seven hen, a 710 host's press credentials because you don't like his question at a press conference. That was over the top. Good for Jim Moore. So good at getting under people's skin. I love Jim. Uh, another text. Stepping over the line is a defensive player yelling at the offensive coordinator during a game when the offense is on the field because you don't like the play call and then yelling at the head coach. Stepping over the line is being a completely transparent, anonymous source trashing, trashing Russ, Pete, and the coordinators to the press. Okay, but those aren't. that's not what we're talking about here. I understand your reservations. Check that. I understand why you do not like Richard Sherman. But you're thinking about it from the sports fan perspect, fan's perspective. And to be quite honest, I empathize because I often get very irrational, and I like to admit my irrationality. I, I think that's one of the things that's so fun about being a sports talk show host is that, yeah, I will be professional in stories like this, but every now and then, if you get to talk about just these stupid little biases that you might have just as being a sports fan, bring them up. They're fun because it's what I think makes sports conversation so interesting. But here, what is actually over the line? Because there is an element of his entire family is getting dragged into this, and it's him. And it's unfortunate because, of course, he brought them into that situation. So it's on him that this is all taking place. But I know that for some people, we look at a story like this and the average story that we'll see about like a DUI or something like this. You just see the paper report or the report online, and, and you look at it, and maybe you don't even really put a face to it. But you think to yourself, oh, Unbelievable. These football players think they can get away with anything. And maybe in the case of some, that actually is the case. But when this stuff gets put out, there actually is an element of this phone call that got put out that humanized the situation in a way that I didn't really expect it to. 
And now I saw the reaction to it yesterday. And, and again, I get some of it. I get some of the, the reaction to just posting this stuff. But if it's publicly made available, it's going to be out there eventually, right? Playing it live on the air versus finding it online. Is there really much of a difference between those two things? I don't know. I really don't know the answer to that. But um, I am really curious to see like what happens next. And there's obviously a lot of speculation that's going on. And maybe that's something else that you don't want to have. I tried to present all the facts, and if you check out the podcast, basically from 10 to 10.13, I just laid out the entire timeline of what I found made available to us. 710-710 on the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. Use of force by the Redmond police is over the line. Well, we don't know that because we weren't there, whether we're in agreement with it or in opposition to it. We weren't there. What's over the top is going by the word of police, leaked or not, on initial reports and not holding police sources accountable with the level of scrutiny as the judging of the suspect in question when things come to light as untrue. That's that's fair. That is totally fair. And things will change over time. And I think that's one of the reasons, too, that you should be patient. But in this situation, too, we do have a lot of evidence in front of us that seems to pretty firmly show that Richard Sherman was driving under the influence, which is bad and obviously, too, resisting arrest after trying to break into the home of his in-laws, which is obviously really tragic. I'm hoping he gets help. I respect him so much as a player. Obviously, my opinion has changed of him a little bit just based off of what took place, but more so, I'm looking at him as just a regular human being that is dealing with things that we all deal with. And while he made this mess himself, I do think that it's important to remember that, that this this could be any of us on our absolute worst days, and he harmed no one along the way, though he is very lucky and very fortunate that that's the way that things played out. Thank you very much for tuning into this very sober edition of the Paul Gallant Show, and I'm sure that the Jacob Stacy program and Wyman and Bob will have more information on all things Richard Sherman as the day progresses. Big thanks to Maura Dooley, who produces this show every single day, and big thanks to the Gras, who stopped by in the sports pit I am merely Paul Gallant. So long. Farewell. Jake and Stacy is next.